This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, you know, it's too bad that in some Catholic circles, social justice has gotten a bad name. Now, I get, you know, why, that it's been distorted in the years after the Council, turning into a code for hyper-left-wing political programs. And it's very important to say the church is not committed to left-wing, right-wing. It just isn't. That's not the church's concern. However, social justice, for want of a better term, does indeed stand at the heart of biblical religion. I mean, how are you instantiated? That's the left-right thing, and people of goodwill can disagree. But social justice stands at the heart of biblical religion and has found its way quite properly into the heart of the Catholic tradition. There's no debate about that. It's not like, oh, well, you're a social justice Catholic. I'm not. No, no, to be a Catholic is to be committed to social justice, period. I know I've quoted to you before some of these really breathtaking remarks of, of saints and popes. Pope Leo XIII in uh, Rerum Novarum says, Once the demands of necessity and propriety have been met in your life, the rest of your money belongs to the poor. Let that sink in sometime. So necessity and even propriety, and, and that's, you know, I know a somewhat flexible term. But once those two have been met in your life, everything else that you have belongs to the poor. St. John Chrysostom said, Ambrose echoed him, the man who has two shirts in his closet, one belongs to him. The other belongs to the man who has no shirt. Again, let that little phrase, that little uh, dictum sink into your heart. If you go through your closet, go through your possessions, and you see, well, here's what I really need. The rest belongs to those who are in need. Thomas Aquinas said, private ownership is legitimate. The church has always stood with private property. It's a, it's a hallmark of the church's social teaching tradition. However, Aquinas says, and the church echoes him, the use of private property must always be directed toward the common good. It's very interesting, isn't it? You can own private property. Sure, sure, it's yours. We don't believe in a, in a state-controlled economy. However, when it comes to the use of your private property, what do you do with it? The common good should always be foremost in your mind. Now, how many of us, honestly, us Catholics, think that way? No, it's my money, my possessions, my stocks, my property, and, and it's, it's for me. No, you own it. But in your use of it, the common good must always be uppermost. Now, the deepest roots of all this can be found in the prophets. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read uh, Amos, for example, read Hosea. These prophets who continually rail against 
those who are indifferent to the poor. And we see it today in the book of Exodus, our reading for today. Israel, we must remember, had been for centuries an oppressed people, poor, destitute, enslaved, forgotten. 400 years Israel is in Egypt under these conditions. And therefore, God reminds them in our first reading, listen, not to molest or oppress an alien, for you were once aliens yourselves in the land of Egypt. You know, it signals something of great importance here, everybody, that key to biblical ethics is compassion. What I mean here is, with the word signals, cum patsior, to suffer with, to feel with. We're not dealing in the Bible with an abstract kind of Aristotelian or Kantian moral philosophy. We're always dealing with something much more visceral. Look, you were oppressed. Do you remember? Do you hear the stories from your your ancestors? You were once oppressed. You were once an alien people. You were once enslaved. So why in the world are you doing the same thing to other people? Emmanuel Levinas, the great uh, 20th century Jewish philosopher, speaks of the moral demand which is carried by the face of the other. Again, it's not an abstraction, as you find in Aristotle or Kant. It's the face of the suffering other that awakens in you a moral demand. In saying that, Levinas is operating very much out of this prophetic biblical tradition. Now, take one more step. All of this is tied up with God and with the compassion or visceral feeling that God has. Listen again to our reading. The Lord says, If ever you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry and my wrath will flare up. If he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. We have compassion for the suffering other, yes. We feel with him, with them. But it's grounded in something even more fundamental, that God has compassion for the suffering of the other. From God's guts, if you want, to our guts, God's visceral reaction to injustice awakens our visceral reaction to injustice. That's biblical religion. That's biblical morality. There's biblical social justice. And this is why, everybody, the two great commandments that we hear about in the gospel are so tightly linked. Jesus asked, right, what's the heart of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You see how it works in the biblical logic. In loving God, you feel the feelings of God. But God is compassionate to the poor and the oppressed. Therefore, you are compassionate to the poor and oppressed. That's all the argument a biblical person needs. You know, I, I love philosophy. I love moral philosophy. I don't want to be bad-mouthing it. But this is a different path. If you're an Aristotelian, you're going to argue in a much more rationalistic way about good and evil. Or you're a Kantian, or you're a, a proportionalist today, or you're whatever you are. You're going to argue in a more rationalistic way. But the Bible, it seems to me, 
is, is appealing to a much more fundamental and visceral sense of morality. Love God means you start feeling his feelings. His feelings are stirred up for the oppressed. And therefore, our guts are moved. That's the biblical argument. I want to follow the lead here of uh, my good friend Brandon Vaught, who works for us at Word on Fire. He's the content director. He wrote a book recently on social justice and the saints. What he's trying to do there is to instantiate all this by looking at the lives of certain concrete figures. The saints who continue the prophetic tradition, feeling the feelings of God, sensing the moral demand in the face of the other. Well, one of the people that Brandon talks about in his book is a holy man whom I discovered just really a short time ago, largely through the ministrations of Archbishop Sartan of Seattle. I'm talking about Pier Giorgio Frassati. I think I told this story before in another sermon, but I was in um, Seattle to give a talk, and I was staying with Archbishop Sartan, and we were up in his, uh, his office on the third floor of his residence, and he was showing me all the books he has, and we were talking about them, and I saw this whole series of books on Pier Giorgio Frassati, and I just said to him, he's a figure I've heard about, but I don't really know him that well, and, and he loves Frassati, so he began telling me the story. He was born in Torino, in Turin in 1901, the son of very accomplished and wealthy parents. In fact, his father was the editor of La Stampa, one of the leading newspapers in Italy. Frassati, as a young guy, was given every advantage that money could afford. He was a famous sportsman, outdoorsman, loving hiking and skiing and especially mountain climbing. He was something of a good time Charlie. I don't mean that in a dismissive way. He's someone who just he loved to socialize with his friends. In fact, in, in almost all the photographs taken of him, he's laughing and he's kind of whooping it up with his, uh, with his buddies, or he's climbing a mountain <laughs> with his friends. So he's the kind of guy that you just would like to be around. A lot of friends, a lot of energy, a lot of joy. But here's the thing that makes him really interesting. He didn't gravitate to the lifestyle of the wealthy. Instead, he gave himself over to prayer, often spending entire nights in vigil before the Blessed Sacrament. Mind you, his parents were not devout Catholics. He didn't come from a devout background, but somehow had this in him. And he had a remarkable devotion to the poor. It began, they say, when he was just a young kid. A mother came to the Frasati home, begging. And with her was her child, a shoeless toddler. Frasati, who was himself only a little kid at the time, took off his shoes and gave them to the child. Some years later, when he graduated from high school, his father gave him the choice of a car or money as a uh, as a reward, you know. Well, Frasati took the money because then he could immediately give it to the poor. They say he often gave his train fare to the needy and then ran home in order to make it to the table on time. His parents were kind of fussy about um, being on time. When friends asked him why he rode third class on the train, his response, because there's no fourth class. He regularly visited the homes of the poor gave him direct financial aid, as well as tremendous sympathy and friendship. 
Due to his proximity to the poor, he caught a particularly vicious strain of the polio virus in 1925, and he died within a few days. Before his family even knew he was sick, he, he was already uh, mortally ill. His parents expected that the elite of Torino would turn out for the funeral, acknowledging the young man's elevated social status. But instead, the streets at his funeral were filled with thousands of mourners who had come from the poorest sections of the city. His parents were flabbergasted, never suspecting he'd had such a powerful ministry among the needy. And the poor themselves, I love this part of the story, were shocked because they only knew him as, as this nice young man that helped them. They didn't know he was from such a wealthy and important family. So the parents were shocked by the poor that came out, and the poor were shocked that he was this uh, well-to-do figure. Here's what I want you to see, and I'll close with this. I hope it's clear that the long nights spent on his knees before the Blessed Sacrament had something to do with the long days spent in service of the poor. The two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart. There is Frasati before the Blessed Sacrament. Feeling the feelings of God, his own guts moved by the compassion of God, which then led him in this heroic way to give his life in service of the poor. There's the church and social justice, if you want. There's the linking of the two great commandments. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, holiness is heroism, and we need heroic priests. That's why we partnered with Spirit Jew Studios to create a short film highlighting the demands and joys of the priesthood. Watch the entire film for free and share it with all the young men you know by visiting heroicpriesthood.com.